After a full one-year hiatus, welcome back to Postscript. Brief but thorough recaps of the World Surf League's Championship Tour events. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and today's episode covers the 2020 Billabong Pipe Masters, presented by Hydroflask, and the Maui Pro, presented by Roxy. The 2020 Billabong Pipe Masters was always destined to be a historic event. And as we now survey the results and the way that the event unfolded, there are many historical markers for which it will be remembered, some good, some ugly, and all of which are likely to overshadow the actual surfing itself. This was the 50th Pipe Masters. The event has run consecutively since its inaugural event in 1971, which was won by Jeff Hackman. But this year was threatened to be canceled due to COVID-19. The entire World Championship Tour for 2020 was in fact canceled by the WSL, but they also had adjusted the tour schedule prior to COVID and moved Pipeline to the first event of 2021 rather than the final event of the season. And likewise on the women's side, the usual final stop, Honolulu Bay in Maui, would now be the first stop of their new tour schedule which notably also includes Sunset Beach and Chopu for both the men and the women this year. But despite this shuffle in schedule, there were no guarantees that these events would actually run as scheduled. COVID-19 had not been quelled by December. World travel still had significant restrictions and the local Hawaiian community remained divided about welcoming 60 international athletes, WSL staffers and contractors, and any potential tourists that it would inevitably attract into their narrow seven-mile stretch of vulnerable ecosystem. And to further complicate matters, the local government had a moratorium on live event permits, but the WSL was able to secure a film permit, same as what a television or movie crew would secure, and that would allow them to run and broadcast the Pipe Masters under different restrictions that adhered to Hawaii State Department of Health and CDC COVID protocols on site. Among them, there would be daily temperature testings, COVID quick tests every three days, no spectators allowed on the film set, aka contest site, aka the beach in front of Pipeline, This all allowed everything to get underway as scheduled. The women's event commenced under, quote, an abundance of caution on December 7th at Honolulu Bay in good head-high surf, and it also saw the introduction of much-anticipated rookies, Isabella Nichols, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, both of whom lost in the round of 16 to Tatiana Weston-Webb and Carissa Moore, respectively, but also showcased amazing talent, and both will very likely climb the ranks as they get more comfortable with this level of competition. Tyler Wright returned to World Tour competition after a nearly two-year hiatus. We last saw her in 2018 in Bali, where she placed third before exiting the rest of the season due to a contraction of an illness that would keep her sidelined through 2019 and then 2020 as quarantine loosened. We started to begin seeing her make appearances and then even winning local Australian surf competitions where she really looked unbelievably fit and fiery. 
She maintained this exact fit, fiery form at the championship level. She served strong and confidently and even earned the very first 10-point ride of the season on that opening day at Honolulu Bay. Otherwise, day one in Maui was kind of unremarkable, with former world champs predictably marching through their heats. Day two was forecasted to offer similar surfing conditions and potentially be the final day of the event. However, it was tragically canceled due to a shark attack of a recreational surfer in the morning before competition. That surfer was a 56-year-old male from Lahaina who unfortunately succumbed to those injuries the following evening in the hospital. Out of respect for the community involved, the WSL suspended the event and would ultimately decide to relocate it to Pipeline along with the concurrent men's event. Meanwhile, a forecasted west-northwest swell was pulsing at Pipeline, where Josh Moniz surfed brilliantly through the trials event on December 8th. He and Peru's Miguel Tudela secured spots into the main event, and Leonardo Fioravanti and Mikey Wright surfed a best-of-three showdown to vie for the one remaining wildcard injury spot on tour. Mikey won the first heat, then Leo took the second and the third, so Leo will actually be on tour in 2021. Mikey will be the number one alternate, but both were granted access into the Pipe Masters as Ace Buckin and Owen Wright opted not to go to Hawaii. Ace cited concerns about potentially being stuck in quarantine after Pipeline, where he would be trying to get home to his young family in Australia for the holidays, and all of that stress and those type timelines and the risk of exposure and the uncertainty simply wasn't worth leaving home for a surf contest. Owen Wright, nor the WSL, offered a reason for his absence, but the rumor mill suggests that prioritizing family obligations may have been his reason for staying in Australia as well. Round 1, aka the seeding round, ran on December 9th and saw all of the usual suspects make their heats. Gabriel, Idolo, Kelly, John John, rookie Jack Robinson delivered on his potential, and perhaps most surprisingly, Jack Freestone delivered the highest heat total of the day, a 16.17 and an updated, more mature, more domineering style than we have seen from him in the past. Perhaps this is the result of him relocating to be with his family in Kauai. But all of these details seem banal and honestly like a distant memory now, a full 12 days later, as not surfing became the headline news of the event. It was called off due to lack of swell on December 10th and 11th, and then, in the afternoon of the 11th, the WSL released the shocking news that some of the event staff, including the CEO, Eric Logan himself, had tested positive for COVID-19. Due to the restrictions of that film permit, they would have to suspend production indefinitely. Fans went nuts. People wanted to know how many WSL staffers tested positive, when would the film permit allow the production to resume, who was patient zero? Has the spread been contained? Why was the CEO in Hawaii on the ground anyways? Shouldn't an event be able to run without the CEO on site? All of these were very reasonable questions that I'd imagine have actually really logical answers. And yet the WSL and its employees went silent. Zero information was offered. Zero emails and texts returned from WSL staffers. 
I reached out to Eric Logan and offered him this platform to explain the situation. Crickets. From December 11th to December 16th, no press release, no Instagrams about anything, much less the event status, complete radio silence. More than just an odd strategy, it was actually disappointing. We as fans are all invested in this event. We're tracking it. I personally have adjusted my work schedule and my personal life just so I can watch these events live. I am the WSL's core consumer, and yet I was left to speculate, left to rearrange my personal plans for the week or not. I had no idea, not even a returned inquiry. If we are the clients of their business as viewers and potential supporters of their sponsors, this was horrible customer service. But rather than just criticize here, I would like to offer advice. And the Maui shark attack was a delicate, scary, unprecedented situation. And Eric Logan came on the air, both during the Pipe Masters broadcast and on social media, to offer the limited information that they did have and to offer condolences to the affected community. And he also stated that he would come back and offer more information when it was available. So the same could have easily been done for the COVID contractions at Pipeline just morning updates, perhaps stating that their legal department and the Hawaii State Department of Health are still sorting through a solution. Maybe they could update us on the health of Eric Logan and the others who had tested positive. Let us know if the waiting period was going to be extended or not, or if we expected it to be greenlit during the current waiting period. But the WSL did zero of this. And meanwhile, Swell bombarded backdoor and pipeline. Heroic rides were wrangled. Nathan Florence's backdoor bomb would have netted him a 12 and would have lived on in the WSL's highlight reel for decades had it been surfed during competition. But in that void of the WSL's deafening silence, the rumor mill spun unchecked. Number 22 ranked surfer Yago Dora received the bulk of the heat for an Instagram that he had previously posted and then deleted, stating that he had tested positive for COVID-19 when traveling to Hawaii, had been quarantined for 10 days in Texas, and despite testing positive after quarantine, the WSL helped him get to Hawaii with a medical justification that despite being non-contagious, dead COVID cells still can live in one's bloodstream for months, triggering positive test results. So after Beach Grit and the message boards pointed the finger of blame towards him as patient zero, Yago Dora finally took to social media to defend his own timeline and his tests and explain that he was held to the exact same measures as everyone else and that he was not the reason for the spread of the virus. Whether this rationale is medically sound or not, his communication was appreciated and it stood in stark contrast to the silence of his employer. Then, with zero ceremony nor explanation for what protocols were met in order to resume competition, the WSL simply posted on social media that, quote, the WSL is pleased to announce that we are ending our suspension of the Billabong Pipe Masters presented by Hydroflask and will look to run competition over the coming days with a promising forecast, end quote. And just like that, the next morning, the heat resumed, just as if the past six days of absence hadn't taken place. The next morning, they also posted the heat draw on Instagram with a caption that stated that it was the, quote, Billy Kemper Pipe Masters. 
That was later edited and recaptioned as the Billabong Pipe Masters. As the event resumed, I felt a vacancy, an anticlimax. I found it hard to locate my own passion for the event. A certain gravitas had left the experience, perhaps due to the fact that they hadn't advertised or hyped the restart. Perhaps it's due to the season starting rather than ending at Pipeline. Perhaps it was the less than dramatic surf that remained in the forecast, or perhaps it was the WSL's own lack of interest to engage me during the past five days. Or maybe perhaps biggest of all, it was the fact that we had witnessed the best surfing of the week happen at the exact venue during the exact days that competition was supposed to be running and that nothing else would transpire during the event that would eclipse those free surfs. But I rallied and of course I tuned in and it seemed that most of the competitors were also operating with the same flaccid interest. Ryan Callanan was the only surfer in that elimination round to even post a double-digit heat total. Only 10 surfers out of 32 did it in the following round, post 10-point heat totals. Former world title hopefuls Julian Wilson, Felipe Toledo, and Chloe Andino all got dispatched with barely even a fight. Former world champ and pipe master Adriana DeSouza garnered less than 10 points combined in both of the heats that he surfed completely out of character for him in one glimmer of hope unfulfilled world champ jordy smith actually rose to the occasion always expected to surf brilliantly he actually built beyond that by controlling heats surfing the best waves and using priority to neutralize mikey wright and kiowa belly reigning event world champ idolo ferreira along with gabriel medina and kelly slater all looked confident and simply more talented than everyone else so they were able to fairly easily outsurf each of their opponents, but only one surfer stood out as being energized and ready to actually get back to work in 2021, and that was John John Florence. After his two world titles and two eddies, John John has been sidelined by injury. Despite missing five events in 2019, after getting re-injured in Brazil, he still finished seventh that year and came back to surf the season ender at Pipeline, injured, simply to shore up his Olympic qualification spot, which Kelly was poised to bump John John out of if he had finished higher on the year-end rankings. This journey, by the way, is chronicled really well in the film Tokyo Rising, which is available on Amazon Prime, so I highly recommend checking that out. But when John John showed up this year at Pipe, health and wellness fully restored after taking an entire season off due to COVID. Everybody was excited to see what he would do at his home break and whether he'd finally get the one trophy that has eluded him thus far, a Pipe Masters. And from round one onward, he was on an entirely different level. Talent-wise, being attuned to this spot specifically and competitively, there wasn't a moment in any of his heats where he looked threatened. He was playing host in his own backyard to the entire surf world who comes once a year to visit and where he always holds court, but has often lacked the unrelenting focus required to get a pair of eights in six consecutive heats. And it would be a fitting year for his destiny to be fulfilled. Perhaps matching against Kelly Slater, the mentor 20 years his elder, would have been scripted as a final rather than a semi-final if this story would have unfolded years back. But let's face it, 
that baton has already been passed. Kelly's descent into the twilight of his career is a long and slow roll, and John John's simultaneous ascent has hit a few injury hiccups, which really thwarted a full head-on collision with Kelly, the way that we saw Andy really confront him. And so we're left kind of seeing friendly sparring matches every couple of years when the two draw one another in perfect barreling waves. Once it was in 2013 here at Pipeline in the final. John John opened with an 8.5 and then backed it up with a 7.4 to have Kelly on the ropes. Kelly made an impossible 9.87 and then backed it up in the dying minutes with a 6.5 to take the win by less than a point. The following year was 2014, flawless 8-foot Chopu, where John John and Kelly actually tied in the semifinal with an astounding 19.77 heat total each, only to have Kelly win on the countback by virtue of his 10-point ride. Kelly actually scored a 10-point ride and then backed that up with a 9.77. John John had a 9.9 and a 9.87, so they exactly penciled out at 19.77. Each of those scores was really subject to scrutiny, and it's really difficult to call either surfer the winner or the loser, but Kelly got the 10, so he won the heat. And um, somewhere in that razor-thin margin and the last six years that have transpired, we've all slowly accepted the changing of the guard. Kelly's last world title was in 2011. His last event win was in 2016. And so much of yesterday's matchup in semifinal one of the 50th anniversary of the Pipe Masters felt ceremonial. And the conclusion, all but foregone. But it was still a spectacular heat. Kelly had sustained two ankle injuries after going off a jump on an e-bike during the COVID delay of the event. And I am not making that up, by the way. He injured his ankles going off of a jump on an e-bike when the event was suspended. He said that he actually would have been unable to surf if the event had run as it was scheduled. He then re-aggravated those ankles the night before while surfing pipeline. So he was nursing those and you could see him actually limping on the beach. But once he was in the water, it was really undetectable. He opened the semifinals within the first few moments of the heat with a nearly perfect left. It netted him an 8.33 for the barrel and swooping carve. John John was on the very next wave, shorter but more critical and dramatic. And when he exited, Kelly could be seen on the inside. And so John John normally probably would have aimed for that air section, but he opted to kick out and beat Kelly back out into the lineup and retain priority. A pivotal decision in the first minutes of that heat that would end up dictating the pacing henceforth. The next wave came at back door, and John John used that priority to bag an 8.93. Kelly would spend the next 25 minutes needing a 9.83. With five minutes left, John used priority to ride a long, successful seven-point ride at back door, which positioned him way down the beach. Kelly took off out the back on the very next wave, and he fell, which actually put him closer to the takeoff zone. Realizing where John John was, Kelly gathered his board quickly and paddled back out into position, beating John into the takeoff spot. Strangely, the priority judge gave John John the priority, presumably because Kelly had ridden the last wave, so they gave it to John John. But the rule here stipulates that the surfer who makes it back to the takeoff zone first receives priority. And it is, in fact, exactly how the priority judges applied the rule in the opening exchange where John John opted to not do the air and instead beat Kelly back out to the peak, 
where he then secured that backup score of the 893. So now that rule had neglected to be applied, and Kelly found himself sitting out the back with two minutes left, needing a big score, and no priority. With 30 seconds on the clock, the wave that Kelly would have otherwise needed met the surfers on the reef. John John paddled into it, and as he began to take off, Kelly, knowing that he doesn't have time to catch another wave, decides to burn John John. He gets barreled, takes the interference, and despite the ride not counting, the judges actually did still score the ride, and Kelly got a 7.93. So not the score that he would have needed, but had he actually had priority, you could argue that he would have positioned deeper. It's honestly impossible to say, but the wave did have the potential score in it, and the judge's explanation for giving John John priority would be highly important to note for future events. I never heard Kelly complain about this. He congratulated John John. Elo and Gabe hit the water next. But John's 18.6 heat total was, in fact, the highest heat total of the event thus far. And compared to Idolo and Gabe's average of 14 points, it really begged the question of who would peak and when. Idolo and Gabe both surfed relatively uncontested up until their clash in semifinal number two, but Idolo was carrying a couple of injuries. He apparently had a couple lacerations on his leg and head from hitting the reef, and in his quarterfinal against Jeremy Flores, he finished an air reverse on the inside and stepped off of his board and onto the sand, holding his hip and wincing in pain. It looked serious, and his team of handlers rushed to his side at the water's edge. He eventually made it back into the lineup and he got more waves, but it was clear that he was surfing through the pain. He was able to rally against that pain and surf against Gabe in the semifinal. He even posted the highest score of the heat, a 7.37, but the WSL's feed actually died at the beginning of the heat and viewers missed that ride and the first 10 minutes of the heat. Once the feed was back up and running, Idolo wasn't able to back up his initial score, and Gabe walked through with a 7.0 and a 5.6 to meet the surfer who is becoming his greatest adversary. In another historic moment, the women surfed their first official event at Pipeline by completing the final four heats of the Maui Pro. Tatiana Weston-Webb called up Ross Williams for coaching, which apparently part of his service includes blocking waves during free surfs at Pipe. So she posted a couple of really actually killer free surf clips on Instagram in the days leading up to the event where she looked to be a real contender. She drew Sage Erickson and Sage looked incredibly fit and poised for a big result this year. But when the two hit the water, they both entirely failed to capitalize on the opportunity to get barreled at Empty Pipeline. After 20 minutes of failed attempts to get barreled or even make drops at times, Sage opted to do a backside turn for which she was rewarded a three, the highest score of the heat thus far. So Tati saw that as a key towards success and did a snap on her next wave, then a staggered three-stage cutback, then actually fell trying to hit the end section. And that actually garnered her a 4.5, and it would be the highest score of the heat and eventually earn her the heat win. Semifinal one saw Tyler Wright versus Sally Fitzgibbons. Sally had never surfed pipeline before, and it showed in her nerves and trepidation. She got a nearly head-high pocket ride at inside back door for a 1.5, and then really pushed to improve on the next attempt with a properly sized, fully hollow wave at back door. And she made the drop, but then she kind of failed to project into the tube. 
So she just got a 1.73 for that effort for a combined heat total of 2.87. Tyler looked far more comfortable and was actually on the hunt. She seemed to know the reef. She seemed to be looking for the waves that she wanted, making incremental adjustments on each wave to be deeper and in a more critical position. Her highlight came with an eight foot tall and five foot wide backdoor cave, complete with airdrop and two barreling sections, still never really coming close to disappearing from the judge's view. And it was almost more of a pocket ride, but it was still a scary wave, well surfed. And for it, she got a 6.67 and a decisive heat win. In semifinal number two, Carissa Moore was the first to seize the opportunity to stake her place as the dominant force in waves of consequence on the women's tour. Within two minutes of her heat surfing against Tatiana Weston-Webb, Carissa paddled uncontestedly into a perfect six-foot wall at Pipeline. She got up, pig-dogged, got spit out onto the shoulder for seven points. The highest score of the day up until that point, and up until she surfed an amazing 9.6 at backdoor, where she airdropped, made a critical adjustment in the barrel, disappearing first in the wave itself, and then secondly in the spit as she got blown out. It was highly dramatic, highly critical, and by far the ride of the day. Way gnarlier than Tyler Wright's 10-point ride during day one at Honolulu, even though this only netted a 9.6. Tatiana, in that heat, failed to ever find the waves and even the confidence that she had in her free surfs. She lost with a 2.47 to Carissa's 16.60. Unfortunately, the waves really didn't show up in the final. A total of five waves were surfed between the two surfers. Tyler's first wave at backdoor truly had 10-point potential on it, but she didn't have the drive to make it through the long section after placing herself in the tube. Carissa's first pipe wave, too, had potential, but it clamped on her exit, and ultimately, she'd only get one more. A lesser wave that she actually made it out of the barrel and got 5.4 points for, which gave her the lead, but Tyler was able to get a very marginal wave with 30 seconds left and win the heat and the event doing turns at backdoor. Carissa was undoubtedly the performer of the event. She got the craziest barrels, but Tyler's adaptability, tenacity, and strategy earned her the first win of the season and Carissa's previously held yellow jersey, which she'll be wearing at sunset in January. So congrats to Tyler Wright for the win and welcome back. Two-time world champ John John Florence entered the final against two-time world champ Gabriel Medina. On paper, it'd be tough to pick a winner, but based on the surfing throughout this event, it felt as though John would fulfill his destiny as pipe master. And not to discount Gabriel, but throughout the event, he was making uncharacteristic mistakes. Strategy aside, he simply was not making waves that he was all but guaranteed to make in past years. He was falling, not comboing sections after the barrel. He just wasn't surfing with the same tenacity that we're used to seeing from him. But my thought throughout the entire event was that maybe this was all strategic. Guys like him and Felipe have been plagued by expectation. Judges know what they're capable of, so if they do anything less than blow our minds, they tend to get underscored. Whereas if Wade Carmichael did the exact same air that Felipe did, they'd probably give him an excellent score. It's an inherent flaw with the current judging. So while John got pushed to the limit against Kelly, I was expecting Gabriel to sweep John's legs in the opening minutes of the final. 
But with 27 minutes on the clock and John holding priority, a wave came at back door and John didn't even make a move for it. He let Gabe go. And it made sense. Gabe surfed it well, but he only got a 4.83 for the effort. This left John in perfect position for a wave double in size at pipeline. John seemed to do everything right, dropping in, pulling in, and just when you'd expect him to get spit out for a nine, the wave hit a warble and compressed, and John got a one. Gabriel was on the next one, surfed it beautifully, and got an arguably underscored 6.67, and that, combined with that first wave at backdoor, would end up being his two scoring waves, totaling a relatively low 11.10, but still holding the lead over John John, who was chasing a 6.34 for the lead change. A very attainable score for John, but with 12 minutes remaining and Gabriel holding priority, there was a possibility that a simple lack of opportunity and then Gabriel's aggressive tactics could keep John in second position. But then, a TP snuck underneath Gabriel, who was sitting with priority, and John John spun at the very last second. He nearly fell from the sky, knifed into a very steep drop, and right into a gaping pipe pit, and found himself with a 6.17. Not enough to take the lead, but bettering his situation and now only needing a 4.94. With priority and plenty of time, Gabriel dropped anchor out the back and set his intention to better one of his two marginal scores. John, on the other hand, got busy. He got a long backdoor barrel ride that he didn't make for a one-point ride. Then he surfed an insane pipe wave, no hand pumping, into a section and got a 5.57 and thus taking the lead with four minutes and 45 seconds remaining. Gabriel, hearing the hoots on the beach for John, sees the exact wave that he had been waiting for begin to approach. It's a seemingly perfect eight-foot pipe wave he strokes into it for an easy entry, does a big swooping pump off the bottom and into the barrel. The wave has eight points written all over it, but uncharacteristically again, it reels off without Gabriel exiting. As it does, Gabe's unmanned surfboard appears in the whitewash, and you can see that he traveled virtually 95% of the distance of the wave. Perhaps in that final moment, he just tried to milk it for a second too long behind the curtain. And even a mid six at this point would have gotten him the win, but it wasn't to be. And with four minutes left, John John was already nearly out the back in the takeoff zone and had secured priority. A minute later, he'd stroke into a mid-sized backdoor wave that turned into a long hollow gem, which he kept pace with, speeding and then stalling to maximize tube time and better his backup score up to a 5.6. Gabe sat unsated for the remaining two minutes and John John secured the win. 11.77 total points to Gabriel's 11.10 and thereby securing his first Pipe Masters title and the ratings lead. Congrats to John John Florence. Despite any noticeable disdain for one another, John John versus Gabriel has all of the potential to become a great rivalry. And despite Gabe's seeming ubiquity in the finals and his two world titles, he won both of those in years that John John was injured and didn't surf the complete year. And considering the cataclysmic and unfortunate interruptions to both the men and women's event number one of the season, I'm kind of reserving optimism that 2021 season will actually play out as it's scheduled, 
But with that said, the next event is in Hawaii at Sunset Beach. And considering the challenge of that big woolly open ocean wave and the latent rivalry waiting to sprout between John and Gabriel, my previously doused passion for this event may just be revitalized enough to tune in on the 19th of January. I'll see you there. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.